It's late when I hear Edward returning from the east wing. (laughs) He enters the room, sweating, and closes the door with a soft click. When he stands in front of me, I look down to see his is trembling. I look up at him in shock. Mr. Rochester, I say, breathlessly. Hi, I'm Bim. And I'm Nicole, and welcome to the Library of Thirst here at Thirst Aid Kiss. Nicole, today we're doing something very special and very close to my heart. Mm. Yeah, today we're going to talk about literary bays. I love it already. Thank you. Uh, We're talking about all the people that we have fallen in love with over the years, Mm -hmm. having first read about these characters. So Mm -hmm. we're talking books, we're talking short fiction, long form fiction, we're Mm -hmm. talking graphic novels, comic books, Mm -hmm. we're talking... Basically, everything that's been adapted for screen, things that even haven't been adapted yet, every book you've ever read. I, you know, I feel very strongly that I can't really enjoy uh, a piece of fiction unless I am falling in love with at least seven characters. I mean, if you don't fall in love with a book, period, it's not worth your time. Are you even reading? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So there were ample opportunities for me to fall in love Mm -hmm. uh, and to crush fiercely on so many characters. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. All your favorites from literature. Uh, all our favorites anyway. So I'm I'm way, way excited. We have got Mallory Ortberg ah, in the house. Ah, <laughs> I love them so much. They're the co-founder of The Toast. Yes. Number one. Mm-hmm. They're currently Dear Prudence at Slate. Listen, credentials up the, up the wazoo. I love it. Hilarious debut book called Text from Jane Eyre. Read it, loved it. And they have another book coming out March 2018 called The Mary Spinster, which is a short story collection. Oh, we'll read it. We'll love it. Uh, I can't wait to hear what they have to say about literary bays, crushes that we have from all kinds of works of literature. Mm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's get into it. All right, Mallory, when we told you um, about today's theme and asked you who you wanted to talk about, you sent us a list that was basically a taxonomy of your literary crushes organized by category. Can you tell us a little bit more about that list? I would love to tell you a little bit more about that list. I spent probably 25 minutes uh, making sure that I had all the categories right. I've got uh, withholding jerks who are obsessed with you, um, capitalist exception fantasies, simultaneously devoted yet unavailable lesbians of all genders Mm. and wry best friends that everyone else has overlooked but not you. Um, So, yeah, at first glance, I was trying to think of who are my crushes because in some ways I have a crush on almost any character I've ever read. And so I was trying to think of who are the fictional people I have logged the most man hours having imaginary conversations with in my head. Um, And so that started to like uh, turn into different subcategories of like sometimes you want somebody who's going to fix capitalism but just for you. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, the system is so broken and I'm so overwhelmed at the prospect of trying to make the world different. Maybe today I'm just going to settle for someone incredibly rich who loves me. Uh, That's going to be that's going to be as far as it goes or which is so weird, right? Because none of these people are real. They are not uh, (laughs) suffering from a lack of my attention. But like that's part of it. In a way, they are all unavailable in as much as none of them are real people, even a little bit, and (laughs) have never spent any time thinking about me 
which is very frustrating. And that's why reading is a bad idea. And you shouldn't do it because you spend all this time thinking about these people and they never spend any time thinking about you. Oh my and it's gosh. like having a thousand boyfriends and girlfriends who never remember your birthday. And you spend any every waking moment thinking, how can I make them happy? How can I get them to love me? And the answer is you can't. They're not real. Someone made them up and then they died and you're alive. Wow. I really feel like you have put a magnifying glass over my heart <laughs> and read my entire love life. Wow. Wow. I'm going to go cry for a solid 20 minutes. Oh, guys. I mean, thank you, but also I'm really sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to do that to you, but it happened and I'm going to do the same. All right. Mallory, why do you think literary crushes, these characters from these books that we've grown up with, um, that, you know, why do we keep falling in love with them or at least how do they imprint on us? What is it about them? So I think especially for me, one of the things that feels so powerful about a literary crush is you can kind of picture someone however you want to, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's sometimes a lot of description of what somebody looks like. And sometimes, especially if you're reading like older literature, stuff that you don't necessarily understand, they'll be like, oh, she had a noble forehead. And then they just move on. And you're like, what does that person look like? (laughs) A noble forehead. (laughs) Yeah, like imagine whatever you want. And so often um, in books – Um, unless it's like specifically a romance novel, you're not necessarily going to get a scene where someone's desire is like consummated and they like have it all out. Um, So there's just like, you can read like 300 pages of just restrained, quiet longing. And you can sort Mm. of spend the rest of your life just thinking about that. Like, oh, picturing someone different, um, imagining a variety of scenes in which that like longing is finally, you know, expressed or put out in the open and you can just like quietly die from having too many feelings alone like in a tree somewhere Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) i at least really i vibe on that level that is that is where i am most comfortable it's just like quietly longing for something and not talking about it so for me that's the thing about literary characters that's really like oh i'm dying over here yeah i i love that too i saw a great tweet that i had to retweet on on uh, uh, well back in november and essentially it was a person on twitter whose uh username is hug vv art and this is just to me like my brand and arguably yours as well mallory and they wrote sex is cool and all but have you ever tried reading an angsty romance and getting to the part where they finally kiss after like 30 chapters and i was like god yes i just i i I die every time yes or like they finally like touch hands for a second and you're like oh Oh i'm a puddle on the floor (laughs) (laughs) that's it it's always it's always like a it's always like a a a mild kind of like a finger touch or whatever and i'm like oh my god this is so and then it's like i have to go home and quietly reorganize my entire emotional life based on this finger touch Exactly. Exactly. I, I like um, particularly these older books, like you've mentioned, Mallory, there'll be like five pages of a description of the house and their clothes and stuff. And, you know, and it says so much, you know, it's like, oh, here's this handsome man. But, you know, his cuffs are frayed. Ooh, what does that tell us? You know, like yeah. things like that just really are really important to me. And um, they paint such a picture of the person and the things that they're going through. And that that appeals to me as well. Yeah. I, I also um, I was saying to Nicole, one of the things I read earliest um, in terms of like a series of books beyond my Enid Blyton years, R.I.P., were Mills and Boone novels, which I think are known in America as Harlequins. Did you read Mills and Boones and Harlequins also as well? I'm familiar, yes. Oh my God. (laughs) Everything I learned about sex um, 
for maybe a solid eight years came from Mills and Boone with occasional kind of like, you know, Jackie Collins and Jilly Cooper thrown in. Because I I discovered Mills and Boone because I had older cousins who lived with us and they read Mills and Boone's. And I remember reading my first Mills and Boone probably before I was even like a, I think I must have been a tween. So I must have been like maybe 11 or 12. So way too young. And I remember reading about certain kinds of like guys, you know, they always had all these like uh, tropes, mm-hmm. you know, the rich guy who I, you cruel mouth and full lips and moves <laughs> like a jungle cat and all this shit. And I was just like, yes, let me just put this into my brain. I love romance novels and I especially love Mills and Boons. So that was something that was so interesting to me. I know Nicole is also a massive romance novel fan. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Huge. But I've since gone away from kind of like sweet, delicate, chaste mm. um, stuff like Harlequin, you know, romances. I tend to get more into paranormal and urban fantasy stuff mm, where so more. people have powers or they're werewolves or some kind of shifter or they're a fairy or something like that. Mm. Um, those I like those because I like the idea of people just having I like having supernatural powers sure you do in 2017 that feels very apt (laughs) yeah and so i also just kind of like the idea that you know these people get together and the sex is really intense the sex is usually much more graphic in these in these um types of novels it's hella more graphic in mills and boon too now let me tell you that really you just got to find the right imprint but that's a story for another day yeah i will i'll send you some links (laughs) yeah please do (laughs) um was there a particular childhood character that you loved so much and and you kind of held on to as an ideal long after you had outgrown that reading group? Oh, my God. Yes, this feels so personal. This is great. I'm trying to think (laughs) of, like, which of my secrets I'm willing to reveal. Yes, please. Um, I I think probably one of the earliest ones that I can remember is the first Mrs. De Winter from the book Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Nice. Mm. She's this... She's she's dead for the whole book. You never meet her. Um, (laughs) The best kind of character. Rebecca. Um, And she's just this, you know, she's everything that the sort of narrator isn't right. Like she's Mm. larger than life. She's demanding. She can be cruel. She's a lot of fun at parties. She (laughs) sleeps with both men and women. She kind of plays everyone against one another. And she sort of like lives on in this really stern, scary, like evil lesbian character like coded as lesbian obviously mrs danvers and she's just like trying to manipulate everyone from beyond the grave um and i was just like yes manipulate (laughs) me from beyond the grave please (laughs) classic becky (laughs) Uh, well that that reminds me of another book from our childhood that you know i think we all have strong feelings about Mm -hmm. that features a woman kind of tucked away someplace or not here and that is Jane Eyre. Jane motherfucking Uh. Eyre. So necessary to my growth as a human being. There was a point where I literally read this book every summer until maybe just after college. I loved I love Mr. Rochester and I love you know the whole mad woman in the attic thing. Yeah yeah. Uh. It's amazing how much that's permeated the culture by the way this idea of the mad woman in the attic. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you first read it Mallory? I was probably in fifth grade, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So yeah. What? And like at, at, at very much at that age, too, where I was like, I don't understand most of this, but I right. love it. And right. I'm right. Very right. Confused. Yeah. 
I think that's 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 my first experience with Jane Eyre as well. Like I was I was probably ten or eleven, and I was like, oh my god, this book is so. I understood it as a complex thing that I didn't fully grasp, but I loved it anyway. Mm-hmm. Nicole, how old were you when you read it? Yeah, about that. Same, yeah, ten or eleven, yeah. something like that. So from that age until about twenty-two, Mr. I was Rochester, reading it. Man. And Jane, like they're both such terrible people. They are <laughs> awful. <laughs> One of the things that's so great and so intense about a story like that is it's always like in this kind of story, um, there's always a reason that the object of your intense focus and desire is rude and indifferent to you. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the reason is because they are so overwhelmed by their desire for you that they might explode and die. Sure. Yeah. Um, which often in real life is not the case. Right? Never the often case, in actually. Real life, it's never been the case someone, in my life. <laughs> right. When someone that I'm sort of obsessed with is rude and indifferent towards me, it's because they don't really like being around me <laughs> and they do not return my feelings. Right. Yeah. But you always... Loved, I think, the idea of, oh, the reason they left this party really abruptly is because if they stood next to me for another second, um, they would fall to their knees and beg to kiss my mouth with their mouth. Obviously, that's why. (laughs) So, you know, this sort of idea that like, oh, the reason this guy's a real jerk uh, is because he can't control his you know, overwhelming desire for me. That's clearly what's going on. Obviously, that's the case. Yeah. It's Mallory Ortberg there with the inconvenient truth. <laughs> oh, it's such a bummer. <laughs> Everyone can always contain their feelings for me. Uh, it's a all real the time. People are entire bottles with lids. Everyone can hold on to their feelings. I'm always kind of like, oh, that's not the... Oh, okay, great. I'll just go hide. Um, I, wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit also about uh, the book that kind of awakened you or the character that really kind of made you think, oh, this is what I like. Can you think of such a character, Mallory? Oh, man. Probably there's two. And they're both, again, I feel like this is really weighted towards, um, like, uh, old school uh, European literature. But probably number one um, is Edmund from The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, yeah. Intense. Um, Intense. In in part because I could not figure out, do I want to be this guy or have this guy be obsessed with me for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. And I'm still figuring that out. And if anyone would like to explain it to me, I think you would save me a lot in therapy bills. So please write to me immediately and let me know which one it is. Um, but that and, and, and Lori from Little Women. Both of those, they're, they're two kind of different tropes, right? Like one is your childhood best friend yeah. who understands you better than anyone else in the world. Uh, and, like, as they grow up with you, they start to see you in a new light. Um, and the other one is, again, that, like, capitalist fantasy of you're not just obsessed with me. You're incredibly wealthy. Yes. Um, and you mm-hmm. hate everyone else in the world. And you're dedicated <sighs> to revenge. And the only thing that can sway you from your singleness of purpose is me. <laughs> Listen, to this day, at, since read again, Count of Monte Cristo was something I read very young. Or I don't even, you know. I guess I was 12. I I would say I was junior high school. I read it. And to this day, if I have to be over someone's house that I don't particularly like, but, you know, social obligations or whatever, I won't eat anything to symbolize. I don't fuck with you. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. That's that is the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I love it. It's kind of like when you look at this gesture, look at my gesture, yes. feel it, understand yes. what I'm saying to you. I will not eat the bread and salt at your table. We are not bound to one another by the rules of hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> You're so dramatic, Nicole. Um, I love it. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Mallory, can you, because I have never read Little Women, can you explain a little bit more about Lori and, and yes. why she touches you? He. He. Oh, so see? this is actually great, though. This is what's wonderful. There was a kind of like a, a well-known plotline on Friends is that Joey reads the book Little Women for the first time and I also gets confused. Joke. I love that joke. <laughs> and that's kind of 
part of the fun, I think, especially if you grew up reading a lot of like, quote unquote, classic literature, there are not a lot of canonically like gay or queer couples. Mm. Um, but both Joe and Laurie have really androgynous names. Um, Joe especially is like a character that like you sometimes hear referred to as a tomboy, talks a lot about, you know, wishing she were a man. Um, and so there's that you can you can totally read Joe and Laurie as like two guys or two girls or two people with like gender fluid identities. And it's that's great. kind of fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think also that was something that the filmmakers were thinking about when they did the adaptation in 1994, which starred Winona Ryder as Joe and Christian Bale as Laurie. Um, and this scene that we're about to, the clip we're about to play, if you have a look at them from behind, I mean, Joe is wearing a dress, sure, but the hair is of a similar length. And like, you know, he, you know, Christian's hair is like falling around his face and he looks androgynous in a way. And so does Joe. Like, you know, Winona, Winona has that great face and it just... The two of them really could be anything that you want them to be. Um, and in this scene, they are essentially, uh, he's come back and he's about to propose marriage. And it is delightful. It's just, oh, it's great. Listen. I have loved you since the moment I clapped eyes on you. What could be more reasonable than to marry you? We'd kill each other. Nonsense. Neither of us can keep our temper. I can provoked. We're both stupidly stubborn, especially you. We'd only quarrel. I wouldn't. You can't even propose without quarreling. I swear I'll be a saint. I'll let you win every argument. I'll take care of you and your family. I'll give you every luxury you've ever been denied. You won't have to write. Unless you want to. Wow. <laughs> that was really intense. So, as a writer, mm. if somebody told me you won't have to write unless you want to, a part of me would be intrigued by that. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's what I want. I want to write when the whim takes me. I don't want to have to write for rent. Oh, my god! Yeah, that's that's the proposal of my dreams. Also, I love that, you know, they're friends. That's the thing that is, you know, when he says what could be more reasonable, mm -hmm. it's like, exactly. Why wouldn't you want to marry your best friend? Mm -hmm. The author, Louisa May Alcott, was super irritated with everyone who was like, make Joe and Laurie get married. And she was like, no, shan't. Um, so she ultimately <laughs> shan't. splits them up and pawns him off on another one of the sisters wonderful um but yeah he's just that that wonderful character that's like we're such good friends we connect so much i'm so into you it would be so perfect if we were in a relationship and joe is just like i'm not having it i want an old german man who tells me my writing is terrible and has soup in his beard <laughs> which same joe that's all i want also as well ideally played by gabriel byrne so yeah all right good no good work. no not same <laughs> extremely not same i'm not here for any like rehabilitation attempts at the relationship she ends up in <laughs> wow, you feel very strongly about this. I love that. Uh, I want to talk also a little bit about another great title that you had, which was Rye Best Friend, Everyone Else Is Overlooked, But Not You. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about this category, please. Uh, so I, I think like I, I, I'm always of two minds when it comes to like shipping intensely like fictional characters mm. um, and one of which is I'm a total sucker for like maximum intensity and, and angst right like just mm. oh I've got so many feelings let's describe them for a million pages and never do anything about it um, 
And yet I also really like jokes and I <laughs> laugh at myself a lot. Like I laugh at my own intensity. So I'm often also like I love the character who who periodically shows up and is just like I am here to remind everyone that the protagonist's problems are kind of stupid. Um, and I often end up falling in love with that person myself, like just that person. Because then they also have their own secret angst, right? Which is like, oh, I'm the clown. I'm always making jokes. But what happens when the laughter stops? And I'm just <laughs> trash is what I'm trying to say. No, no, no. It's good um, trash. It's good trash. But I, I'm especially – and this one's a little bit unfair because I, I put down Mercutio from Romeo and Juliet mm. um, because he gets to do both, right? He gets to, like, laugh at everybody for their romantic problems. But then he also gets a big dramatic death scene where he's yes. like, well, don't all you feel terrible for not paying attention to me and now I'm dead and it's all your fault. So he gets to, like, play both sides and it's, like, fully – influenced by the fact that I saw the movie version of Romeo and Juliet, the yes. Baz Luhrmann version. Yes, I was oh. just about to say. It's so, so, so I, good. I saw a post on Tumblr literally yesterday where someone said Harold Perrineau is the best Mercutio there has ever been. And I was like, oh my God, yes. That great yeah, bit and- where he says, by my heel, I care not. Yeah, he kind of like he, his lips are kind of like pursed and you can tell he is relishing saying that line. He has like such light in his eyes. He was such a great actor to play that role oh i love that movie both him and then um john leguizamo as i think tybalt oh were my gosh just Ugh. like such a great combination of like uh i'm wearing ridiculous clothes i'm covered in glitter i hate everything but everything's a joke yes. and you're too distracted by the like you know pale long-haired depressed like white 17 year olds who are dying for each other and all the fun is over here like the real party is over here with John Leguizamo and Harold Perrineau yes Uh, Mallory I wanted to go back to um, your simultaneously devoted yet unavailable lesbians of all genders (laughs) and talk a little bit about Suge Avery from the color Mm. purple oh man Talk to me about Suge Avery and why she resonated with you. I I should preface this, too, by saying, like, sometimes I say the word lesbian and I mean almost anything. Like, I, I understand <laughs> that Suge is canonically pretty bisexual. Um, so I, I, I don't necessarily mean that I'm making, like, a definitive claim about someone's sexual identity no. so much as saying, like, this person is incredibly compelling and has the charisma levels of a tractor beam. But that sort of figure who is, like, somebody who when you first meet them, they're incredibly confident. Um, mm. They don't necessarily like care a lot about you or or like want to help you. But like they slowly are the person who opens you up. Right. It's again right. like that fantasy of somebody who is initially cold and indifferent to me or not necessarily cold, but sort of like indifferent mm. um, will in fact become so won over by me that they will help me unlock, like, the character traits that I need in order to take care of myself. Like, they want me to be the best version of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the end of it, um, not only will we have had, like, incredible life-altering sex, um, (laughs) I will be a different, better kind of person because of them. Oh, my God. Stop reading my diary, Mallory. (laughs) Um, it's my co- diary, too. <laughs> <laughs> the Color Purple was one of those books that we passed around in junior high school, again, around 12, 13 years of age, um, that we kind of whispered about because of the scene where Suge and Celie 
kiss and then they have these little like nighttime visits and they're all this kind of stuff is happening i i, I mean it's a <laughs> nighttime visits is such a great that's, that's my next album <laughs> um and so we would pass it around and i remember my life science teacher took the book from me because i was i it was my book and i was giving it to somebody to read and of course i'm you know 12 13 and i had like turned to the actual page where suge is basically like licking um Celie's nipple or something like that yes because she compared it to like a baby she that's that's how Celie compared uh the situation because that's all she knew it was, was like oh, having kids and breastfeeding um I'm going to read a little bit of it because it's such a beautiful passage and I think it's important to hear. She say, I love you, Miss Seeley. And then she haul off and kiss me on the mouth. Um, she say, like she's surprised. I kiss her back, say, um, too. Us kiss and kiss till us can't hardly kiss no more. Then us touch each other. I don't know nothing about it, I say to Suge. I don't know much, she say. Then I feel something real soft and wet on my breast Feel like one of my little lost babies' mouth. Way after a while, I act like a little lost baby too. Oh, my heart. Um, so I had pointed to that scene, and my teacher took the book from me, and you know <laughs> oh. he gave me this look like you know better. And, <laughs> <laughs> but Suge was one of those characters that really stood out to me because everyone around it was like the world orbited around her mm. you know mr wanted her Celie wanted her um you know she would come in with all these other people who like you know say these terrible things about her and stuff like that so she was always on somebody's mind whether it was good or bad and yeah. i was just like this is so intriguing what is yeah. it about this woman and she had that charisma that you've mm. talked about mallory where people were just drawn to her and i just remember thinking how can i be like this woman you know she could sing she dressed well she maybe she had a little a little issue that she needs some you know to be taken care of for at you know when we first see her yeah but once she got better everyone just kind of loved her and surrounded her so i i feel you on this idea of being devoted but also recognizing that she's just or this person is just somebody that you can never have. Mm. Right. And and that who's like capable of both tremendous personal cruelty, but also yes. if they turn the focus of their like joy for living and confidence and enthusiasm and sensuality on you, yeah. your life will change. Like That's the first it. thing she says to Celia is like, you're ugly. Yes. Yeah. But later she's like, I'm going to shepherd you through this new journey of your life and mm. I'm going to turn you on to like the world itself. Mm. And so that combination of like I could destroy you, I could recreate you, you don't necessarily know which one you're going to get from me. Like the thrill of that unpredictability and that sense of danger and then yeah. the joy when it's like, oh, she's turning on the like nurturing and the love yeah. and the attention. I'm getting that. That's like – Whew. Yeah, it's such a compelling narrative. This idea of you, like you said, you can destroy me or you can really make me something. And I just, I, 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 I don't necessarily want that in my real life. I've decided. I think with age, I'm kind of like, nah. I want to know where I stand. Oh yeah, no, but, I don't want to be like a pick me person. Right, right, um, right, right. But in in literature, it's such a compelling like device to kind of kind of mold your character you're just kind of like oh my gosh who is this like that's the thing like you can't take your eyes off them and even when they turn that back on you and they are looking at you with just kind of like you know like you said that deep cruelty that Shug does display you kind of go do you know what like in real life I'd be like nah fuck this bye I'm out but in the book oh, I'm kind of like yes. more of it more of it I love it <laughs> no because in my real life 
it's like, oh, I got to have boundaries and there's appropriate things you can and can't say to somebody. And if someone opened with, I think you're really ugly, we probably would not go on to know right. one another That's very closely. How dare you? But in a in a book. Oh, man. Yeah. Give me the. Give me the journey. Mm, mm. Yeah, and I think that's part of um, what I like about romance novels, particularly those urban fantasy paranormal ones, is that the um, hero is always somebody who is, you know, scary, imposing, intimidating, but then he meets, you know, the love of his life. And he's a little bit of an asshole, but then also he's just like, putty in her hands yeah. he's a totally different person with yeah. her and it's like yeah he's an asshole to everybody else but to me but to me he's great right, he's, he's just so a little soft. kitten yeah, you know that yeah. kind of thing I was rereading one of my favorite Rick and Michonne uh, fanfics recently it's called Bad Things it's by Kendra Wright of 33 and everyone should read it um, <laughs> but there's a bit when uh, they have Rick and Michonne you know Rick is like this hardened grizzled his name's the end of the world there are fucking zombies everywhere or rather walkers everywhere it's just it's not it's not necessarily a world that's conducive to soft, you know, gentle men. Like you have to kind of just be hard just to live. And there's a scene where Michonne um, licks Rick. Um, I had it. no idea what you were about no. to say because that pause <laughs> after sorry, licks sorry. was real good. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry I, got, I got taken away on the on the pages of that of that fanfic. But um, he, she rather she she licks the skin um, at like where his thigh meets his pelvis mm -hmm. and he she discovers that he's ticklish and he kind of blushes mm -hmm. and kind of and when I read that I was so moved I was like oh my god he's ticklish he kills people with his big gun but he's ticklish <laughs> and I <laughs> more men blushing in fiction Mate, in 2018 that's all I want that's all I'm gonna write 700 books in 2018 and all of them are gonna have blushing men men who grow bashful when they are faced with a full gaze of their lover's love that's all I want that's that's what I love but 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 to go back to the sugar thing that you were saying about people who are withholding people who are basically not straight shooters you know they 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 basically look at a situation and judge how they whether they're going to be cruel or whether they're going to be lovely. And the flip of that is a straight shooter, which I also really love reading about in fiction. People who do not hide how they feel. They say what they mean and they mean what they say. And I find that also to be just as wildly attractive. And one of the people that I, uh, one of the characters that I love so much, who is exactly this kind of straight arrow guy, or person is Magnus from the short story North Country from Roxane Gay's uh, collection Difficult Women. Mm. Yes. Oh, have you read? You has everyone read this story? Yes. It's so good. Magnus <laughs> is my god. I read that and he's I. He's a logger, right? He's oh, he's he's a man. <laughs> he. <laughs> He, I dreamt about him when I read the story. I, again, that thing that Mallory said about you can picture them and you can, you know, you're given just enough information for you to go out and construct mm -hmm. the person. Mm -hmm. um, and he is this guy and, you know, the, 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 sorry, the protagonist of, of, the, of the story is um, Kate and she is difficult, as, is, as befits the name of the collection, Difficult Women. And she's, you know, she's someone who's a little bit cold and she kind of dismisses him at first and she keeps kind of saying how listen, I don't want you. You're just here for a good time and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of like, he just keeps coming back, not because he's like a martyr mm -hmm. and or, or desperate for punishment. He just likes her mm -hmm. and he turns up on his terms and, and you know, gets consent and whatever. But he does, he's such a straight shooter. And there's one bit in particular after she has, um, essentially she's at home at Christmas and he overhears her on the phone saying, because he, he calls her at Christmas and he overhears when he's, her mother kind of goes, oh, who's that? She goes, oh, he's no one. Don't, don't worry about it. And he's understandably very hurt. Right. And he says, and this is this is the bit that I love. 
I'm just going to read a little bit from North Country. And she says, uh, this is this is Roxanne Gay writing. I send Magnus a card and a letter and gift and another letter and another letter offering apologies, admitting that we are very much a thing, admitting that I long for him. He sends me a text message that says, I'm still angry. I send more letters. He writes back once and I carry his letter with me everywhere. Now, I just want to say... There is nothing in this whole story that mm-hmm. is sexier than the point where he says, I'm still angry. Yes. Just say it with yep. your chest. Just oh. say, say what you mean. Say Express you your mean. emotions. Just be yeah. out there. And then, and then, you know, afterwards they make up and it's all great and whatever. But I just, the way he just says, I'm still angry. I don't want you to think this is okay because it's not okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that kind of jars her out of kind of like, oh no, I want this. Yeah. And I love that. Magnus, if you are out there, mate, <laughs> this is a podcast, but also it's now my official dating line. Magnus, come at me. Just call. Come through. Jeez. I was just thinking, too, and that's what's so great in fiction, because in fiction, it's always the character you want right. to express their emotions. That's the one that does it, right? Because yes. sometimes in life, um, <laughs> the person who is very upfront and honest about their feelings, it's great, but you don't feel the same way. So there's that sort of sense of, oh, yeah. this is probably a nice quality for you, but it's not. It doesn't affect me, um, whereas sometimes the person that you want more than anything to be direct is not direct. And so combining those two people into one, and it's like, ah, it can't just be that somebody's direct. It has to be somebody that I want to be direct with right. me. Um, getting to see that play out is like, <sighs> <laughs> I love when there are no words, just sounds. Okay, uh, Mallory will be back with us right after the break. And please stay tuned because they've brought something that truly will tickle, drag, censure, it will, oh God, you're just going to get your whole life. So uh, hold on. Mallory, as you know, each episode includes um, Fanfic Wars, which is where we read drabbles based on our thirst object of the episode of the day. And But we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to ask you to do uh, a reading for us. Can you let us know what you're going to read? Yes. Yeah. So initially we had talked about doing something from text from Jane Eyre, but I feel like so much more in keeping with today's theme uh, is this piece, What I've Learned About Female Heterosexual Desire from Decades of Reading. Ugh, drag us. (laughs) So Mallory, we're ready. Go for it. I will. I'm going to start this uh, first with a disclaimer (laughs) that this is uh, just like an exhaustive list of tropes that come up in a lot of things I have read over the years. I'm not trying to make any claims about what heterosexual women actually want all the time, um, (laughs) so much as things that keep popping up again and again in stories that's like, oh, there's a there's a there's a theme here. Yes. So here we go. Things I've learned about heterosexual female desire from decades of reading. Women only love men with crooked smiles. A man who smiles with his mouth all in a straight line might as well be dead. A male smile should resemble nothing on earth so much as the Leaning Tower of Pisa, Lombard Street, a lightning bolt, a scarecrow with a broken neck, or two palm trees leaning against each other to form a big X. (laughs) Most women cannot distinguish between the feeling of love and what happens when a young man has floppy hair that falls over his eyes. Truly lovable men have eyes hidden so deeply behind a cascade of floppy chestnut hair they cannot even see you. Men are most attractive when they have at least one, but no more, than three cosmetic flaws, like a scar on the chin, a slightly chipped tooth, poor, like Chip the Cup from the cartoon version of Beauty and the Beast. 100% of women want to have sex with someone who embodies the fox version of Robin Hood from the cartoon Robin Hood, but many do not actually want to have sex with a fox or a man dressed as one. 
It's not enough to have a lot of hair falling in your eyes. Men must be constantly tugging at their own hair in exasperation, or at the very least running their hands through it as they think very carefully about art or something. (laughs) Men should have a ton of money but not care about it for even a second. He should literally forget he even has any. He should be able to whisk you away on a gold helicopter. And then when you try to tip the pilot in cash, he says something like, what are those weird little flat green dudes in your wallet? (laughs) Because he doesn't care about money at all, even though he has so much of it. Someone understood him once, but then she died. Yes. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's really good when a man could hurt you and maybe spends a lot of time hurting other people, but makes an exception in his hurting people schedule for at least one woman he doesn't hurt, but he could if he wanted to, only he doesn't. So it would be great if he murdered everybody except for you and didn't murder you even a little bit. <laughs> If he's normally so powerful that he could destroy you, but he's in the hospital or jail or something or just tied up in a bunch of cabins in the woods, maybe, and you have to bring him mush to bring back his strength and he's totally dependent on you and he hates it and he reminds you of how much he hates it, but there's not anything he can do about it and he has to rely on you and maybe trust again for the first time in his whole entire life. That's good. Whenever possible, a man should have a cruel mouth, particularly if he has blue eyes. The bluer the eyes, the crueler the mouth. A man with cornflower blue eyes should have a mouth like a genocide. Yes! (laughs) If he can't have a cruel mouth, he should have strong and calloused hands, sort of rough but surprisingly gentle, like if it turned out his hands were actually made of doves. And he should be a little dim but incredibly dedicated to you, like he shouldn't be able to remember fractions, but every day he builds you a four-poster sleigh bed out of oak and devotion. That's my line! It's good if a man is skittish and terrified of affection, like a beautiful horse that appears on the end of a frozen lake one day, and you have to tame it by bringing it a handful of food every morning until it slowly comes to learn your scent, but like with sex. Like a mean professor who always wears powder blue button-ups and has a little bit of chest hair that's not too dark and always withholds praise. His mother is just the worst, and you're nothing like her. If a man is calm 100% of the time, like so calm that he's mostly dead, and he only gets boners for his job because he loves his job so much, and he's always sitting at a desk or standing with a phone doing his job, but then all of a sudden he can't stop getting boners for one specific woman, and he's mad at her for how much she's distracting him from his job, which has never happened before, because how he's literally never been attracted to even a single woman in the history of being alive in his own body until right now, and he's going to straight up murder you with sex because it turns out all that studiousness that he thought was his personality was actually the calm before the dick storm. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Sometimes women instead love it when men are sweaty and sleazy like a sexual rat. I don't know. That's it, I guess. (laughs) Oh my god! You have dragged us. (laughs) I have never felt more straight, more female, more romance novel reader. The thing is, I have read that piece at least 50 times, but there is something about having the author read it to you and you just kind of go yes I feel dragged and cleansed yes well and it's so funny because there's ways in which I feel also like targeted by it but also apart from it like as a very like classic old school bisexual there's times when that trope in a male character I'm like oh this guy I'm over it (laughs) but throw it on a female character and all of a sudden I'm like oh no this is fascinating and new and good Um, and then there's times when it'll show up in a male character and I'll be like oh it's still working this is very frustrating (laughs) 
So a lot of this is directly targeted at me and my own responses to characters when I'm like, you know better than this. And then my heart is like, no, I don't. I love it. I'm an idiot. Goodbye forever. <laughs> That's truly the, the sweet spots whenever you're reading. So I'm like, ah, oh, drag me. But also, I love this. <sighs> Mallory, that was incredible. Oh God, I feel we so love good. you. <laughs> um, oh, I, I, I love you both enormously. Oh. <laughs> Where can our listeners find you on the internet? Listeners can find me anywhere longing is found. Uh, <laughs> they can find me on Twitter uh, at evil Mal Ellis, um, which is just evil and then M A L L E L I S. Um, I also have a newsletter called The Shatner Chatner. It's great. Which is just shatnerchatner.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess they can find my book, which is coming out in March, The Merry Spinster. It is a collection of upsetting short stories, and they should read it if they want to and not if they don't. <laughs> nice. Upsetting short stories. I like that. Yeah. I also give people advice um, <laughs> with a very different I, – I, I don't tell people to do things like long forever or, or make bananas decisions. Um, but I, 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 the current Dear Prudence over at Slate, and that's just at slate.com slash Dear Prudence. Um, I, I do a podcast, which uh, you have been on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And your episodes are fantastic. Uh, yeah. And then I also write the column every week. Beautiful. Mallory, you are just a celestial majestic being, and we appreciate you all the time, every day. This was the high water mark of my life. Wow. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> if you don't know what First Sommelier is, well, you're about to learn something today. Mm. That's <laughs> I love that. First Sommelier is basically where we essentially send you recommendations for who you should be fancying next. Mm-hmm. Nicole, are you ready? I surely am. Ugh, this is one of my favorite first familiar requests that we've had in oh, many a minute. Yes. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Mm. I, this voicemail truly is just, ugh, it's so sweet. It's so harking back to a simpler era when people just weren't as gym toned. But anyway, that's, just, that's, that's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to yeah, get too much away. Don't spoil it yet. Don't I'm spoil, spoil it. it. This is the first familiar request that we received this week. Hey, Bim and Nicole, it's Ariana. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for this truly noble service. Uh, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. My request is something that's been bothering me for a few years now. I am someone who uh, really appreciated, preferred Chris Pratt before he got all swole. And, you know, he looks great. He can do whatever he wants with his body. More power to him. But for me... Uh, Parks and Rec Chris Pratt was like much more my speed and I feel like because Hollywood is what it is we are basically allowed like one big dude at a time and I don't know who uh, really has kind of stepped in to make up for this loss Um, and I miss it you know I I miss a guy who's just like kind of doughier like tall a real presence who you know, can like make you feel safe, but also like, oh yeah, you know, like I think you guys get it. Um, so if you could help me out, that would be amazing. I'd really appreciate you letting me know where I can um, direct this thirst that has been really frustrated for a while. Um, you guys are the best and I love you and I will talk to you soon. Bye. 
Ugh, I, I, <laughs> that was adorable. <laughs> I want to kiss that message. It's so sweet. Oh, she really misses um, a little, you know, a little hefty Chris Pratt, a little, you know, a little thickums. I love hefty. I love thickums. Andy, uh, as played by Chris Pratt on Parks and Rec, was the ideal schlub. I just, mm. I had like a real like uh, soft spot for him. Oh. So I understand what Ariana's saying. Mm-hmm. I understand that she needs something to kind of, you know, plug uh the hole in her life mm-hmm. i get that i get that and so i gave this a little bit of thought and i settled upon a man who i think really fits the bill mm-hmm. um ariana have you heard about an actor by the name of david harbour <laughs> because you should david harbour uh for those of you who don't know is currently starring in stranger things on netflix uh he plays hopper the police chief who is in this town and he's just trying to solve these mysteries and just trying to, you know, just trying to survive, man. And he has exactly what I would call that doughy, wonderful kind of dad bod Mm -hmm. that Ariana is so clearly missing now that Chris Pratt basically lives in the gym. Uh, David Harbour has a great face. He's kind of square-jawed, but big with it. So it's not quite (laughs) a lantern jaw. It's kind of a lantern jaw that's a little bit soft. Uh, whilst also remaining a little bit hard. Uh, he's He's got a great face. He's got like an open, honest, working class face. He also, as, an, as a person, like in his personal life, seems to have a huge sense of humor. Um, seems like, you know, in, in a couple of scenes on Stranger Things, he does a little dance. You know, he's a bit of a goofball. He has fantastic social media presence. He's very funny. He clearly loves Winona Ryder and often will post photos of him and Winona together at work and we'll put like a little joke about how he's not worthy, which correct, no one is. <laughs> I just love him so much. Like I look at him and I feel warm. He's such a human, like, you know, just a, a wonderful ball of dough who is also just incredibly sweet and I fancy the pants off him. So I urge you to cast your attentions towards Mr. David Harbour. Nicole, who have you got for Ariana? Okay, stick with me. I'm I'm sticking. Buster Rhymes. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Buster Rhymes, the rapper. Yes. Um, he <laughs> How is, you clarify? The rapper. I mean, you know, there might be somebody out there who's unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Buster is 6'1". Yes. He's been around a good 20 or so years. Easy. Um, you know, distinctive voice. Yes. Um, commanding presence Mm -hmm. partly because of his height partly because of his enthusiasm his persona his attitude like Mm. all of that like he comes in a room you know that he's in the room Mm. um you know he's gotten you know he's picked up some of that grown man weight yes he has (laughs) Woo! yes he has and when he was on uh master of none he was a really standout in master of none so he is like multi-talented don't count him out Mm, mm. just you know go back and look at the stuff that he's been in because he's actually he has a few um, acting credits he does um just go back and check him out look at some of his videos Mm -hmm. you know yeah he has some range you know like he's not just a rapper he's a multi-faceted multi-talented guy yeah so buster rhymes Mm. david harbour two solid ones there. yeah you know and i also like david harbour because on twitter he's very self self-deprecating yes. he's you know he's very self-aware yes he's, you know all of this but it's yes. funny mm-hmm. and he wears the hell out of that police sheriff uniform everything's just kind of like you know a little bit tight because he's got that great <laughs> dad board i was like yes and then he, he he posted this amazing selfie like you know a little back shot and i was like yes david show us your show us your middle-aged ass i love it i love it <laughs> 
Okay, so if you liked what we just did for Ariana, who was looking for a new thirst object, remember that we very much can do the service also for you. So don't forget, please leave us a message. If you require the services of the Thirst Sommeliers, you can call us on 765-884-4778. That's 7658-THIRST. Thirst Aid Kit is produced by Julia Furlan, Eleanor Kagan, and Agarnesh Ashagre, with editing help from Meg Kramer. Our music is by Tanya Morgan. Follow the show on Twitter at Thirst Aid Kit. Find us on Tumblr at thirstaidkitpodcast.tumblr.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Bimadu and TN Whiskey Woman. That's TN Whiskey with an E Woman. Also, you can do us a huge favor. Uh, you can go to Apple Podcasts and drop us a review. We love the reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first important thing is they help other people find the podcast. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is we are narcissists and we love to read about how amazing <laughs> we are. So if we're doing something you like, you should definitely let us know. Like this listener, Tegs, T-E-G-S-S, mm. who said, I would rather stay in on a Friday night with these ladies than go out. Fabulous. Oh, Tegs, mate. What a beautiful, beautiful review. I also... <laughs> I also found this amazing review from, I believe, I think I'm pronouncing this right, Melina Correa. First of all, great name. Uh, And they said, this podcast is dangerous. I listen to it on my commute and it is almost too much to handle. The hosts are incredible. Thank you. Uh, And I love all of their guests, uh, which I thought was such a sweet, lovely thing. They also shouted out our Tumblr, which is great. And they basically called us their new favorite podcast. Now, listen, I don't know how ego works, but mine is so full right now. I love praise. (laughs) That's beautiful. I am all carrot, no stick. Thank you so much. Uh, Remember, if you're tweeting about the show, please feel free to use the hashtag TACPOD. That's T-A-K pod. We love your reactions. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned and stay thirsty. Bye.